Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Caroline Moser about probiotics in practice. Caroline graduated from the University of Sydney with a Bachelor of Veterinary Science in 1994. She enjoyed working in small animal practice in Sydney for 13 years with interests in orthopaedic surgery and dermatology before commencing working in 2008 as a veterinarian at Guide Dogs New South Wales and ACT. In 2016, she won the Derek Freeman Scholarship through the International Guide Dog Federation. This enabled her to visit the larger guide dog breeding centres in the US to investigate and acquire knowledge in their methods around animal welfare, husbandry and their breeding programs. Caroline then became the Veterinary and Breeding Services Manager for Guide Dogs New South Wales ACT in 2017 and her current role enables her to maintain her veterinary knowledge and apply this knowledge to their breeding program. She has co-authored a paper on transitional lumbosacral vertebrae that was published in the AVJ in January 2017, and her current interests are genetics of canine behavioural and medical conditions and animal husbandry. She works very closely with geneticists and breeding managers, both locally and internationally, with the collaborative goal of reducing heritable disease and undesirable behavioural traits in their canine colonies. Hello, Caroline. Welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. I'm so grateful to have you on board today. How are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm great. That's good. We've been trying to tee this up for a little while. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, Something that we are really passionate about is definitely guide dogs and gut health. So it's a nice combination that we have you with us today. Um, Really fascinated to hear about how you ended up working with the guide dogs, and but also before that, w- why you wanted to become a vet. Um, can you share a little bit of your background with us? Sure, I can. Um, I, I'm a little bit different, I suppose. A lot of people um, want to be a vet from when they're tiny and it's their lifelong dream, but it's actually not something that was my lifelong dream. I just <laughs> sort of fell into vet, actually. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, a bit different. My dad is actually a doctor and he was really keen on me taking over his practice. So mm-hmm. I remember sitting down when you ha- when we had our uni preferences form and dad telling me to put medicine as number oh. one. And I was just like, no, That's can't hard. do it. Can't, can't deal with people. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he did convince me to put vet as number one because oh, right. uh, I refused to put medicine. But <laughs> um, I actually, I love it. Uh, he was right. He was right because it's it's really the area that I should be in. Um, yeah, I still love it 25 years later. Oh, that's great. So that, that was sort of becoming a vet. And yeah. starting at Guide Dogs, I, I suppose, again, I sort of fell into the Guide Dogs role. Um, I'd been working in Parramatta for about eight years and I was about to go on maternity leave and the practice I was at was sold to a corporate from being like a, a single owner. Mm-hmm. And um, while I was on leave, um one of my nurses left work to go to guide dogs and they asked her if she knew a vet that she would recommend for the position at guide dogs. Mm. So um, I did have a position still available back um, at Parramatta for me, but because things were changing and I had no idea what was going to happen, I thought time for a new move. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love it. I love it. I can't imagine working anywhere else. 
And so you've been there just over 10 years, have you, at the Guide Dogs? Yeah. Yep. It's um, coming up to 12 years now. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. And that's um, based in New South Wales, isn't it, in Glossodia? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yep. out at Glossodia. Yep. Yeah. So have they got one vet per state generally? Um, I'm I'm still working part-time. I've got another vet that works with me part-time at the moment as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are there's a there's a vet in Victoria and uh, well uh, sort of contracted in in Victoria and there's a vet um, in Queensland as well. The other oh, okay. the other schools tend to use um, okay. external vets. There's not so not many of you then in the country. No, it's no. it's very unique. It's yeah. a really unique position um, and it's really different to general practice and I think that's yeah. how it's really shaped my interests. Yeah. Um, yep. It um, you really it's it's like preventative medicine in, in the real true sense of the term yeah. um, because there's a whole colony on site and it's not just about it, – it is about the individual in some cases but it's also about every dog um, yeah. and ensuring that you put protocols in place to reduce the incidence of disease across the whole site um, yeah. and reduce the spread of zoonotic diseases and um, it's also about the long-term health of the colony in terms yeah. of – um, tracking conditions that pop up and um, applying selection pressure um, and making sure you've got accurate diagnoses so that long-term we're, we're producing dogs that have um, less health issues. Yeah, right. And so you're involved in the day-to-day health of the um, dogs that are on site as well as the breeding programs and the sort of genetic side of things? Yeah, so I'm yeah. the vet and the breeding manager as well. Okay. So um, I'm involved in um, a lot of data, actually. It's very <laughs> different to what I, I never expected to go into genetics when I was going through uni. It was really wasn't um, something I, I thought that I would end up in, but mm. um, I love it. Um, there's a lot of lot of maths involved too. Yeah. <laughs> so and I'm guessing you have to be um, super patient as well because you can't you sort of can't play with things and then have an instant result. Sometimes they take, you know, a, a few generations even to see yes. how things change. Yeah. yeah. So that, so the thought is that it, it generally takes about three generation intervals to get significant oh, wow. improvement okay. genetically. Um, and the generation interval is calculated on how old the dog is at the time that it gives birth um, to its next generation. So generation intervals are roughly sort of two and a half years and then sort of three times that. So so it's a long-term goal, not short-term goal. It is. Wow. And so was that – did you learn all of that sort of on the job or have you um, had guidance from geneticists or how how does that sort of happen in practice? Um, When you go through uni, you really don't do much genetic. When I went (laughs) through, that was – no, like me neither. A long time ago. Um, and I think I did one semester of genetics. So I didn't remember anything when um, I became the breeding manager. And um, so I, I was really lucky. I was able to um, – I um, won a scholarship, which enabled me to go overseas and learn from uh, breeding managers and, and geneticists around the world. So, um, oh, yeah, just feel so lucky to be here, really. Yeah, um, oh, that's I've, so nice. Yeah, I've had – um, ongoing connections with them and, and um, any issues that pop up, we sort of email each other and if anyone 
uh, been there and done that before. We don't have to sort of reinvent the wheel there. Yeah. And they're all guide dog specific sort of geneticists yes. that you're working with? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yep. or either guide or assistant oh, dogs. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned that working with the guide dogs has sort of shaped your interests in practice. So what are your sort of major interests um, in your work? So um, at the moment, I, I really like looking into things like um, dermatology and um, orthopedics. I, I like looking at preventative medicine mm-hmm. um, and animal husbandry and, and genetics, obviously. Mm-hmm. That sort of brings us to something that I really am interested to talk to you about today because I know a little bit of the background about how you've um, introduced probiotics to guide yep. dogs colonies mm-hmm. and, and seen some changes there. And I know it's one of the one of your interests as well from talking to you before. But are you able to sort of share with us where your experience and knowledge lies about using probiotics um, and the journey that you've taken with the guide dogs um, and with your your particular cases that you've seen in practice even um, on how sure. they can influence the health in the short and the longer term? Sure. Um, so I suppose the, the interest in, in the gut microbiome and, and probiotics and, and how we can shape the gut microbiome really started from um, when we started our breeding program in here. Mm-hmm. We um, tend to have, um, we can have a few litters on site at one point in time. And when you have um, litters coming, you have to sort of develop protocols around how you introduce them to food and and um, quarantine between them and things like that. And we we're actually finding that despite the fact that we had really good quarantine and despite the fact that we uh, were doing, had all these protocols in place in terms of worming, vaccinations and um, using coccidia stats and things like that, we were still getting um, diarrhea within our pups. Mm-hmm. Um, most of our litters we would find would develop diarrhea within three days of commencing solid food. So we would we would start them on a little bit of, of um softened kibble diet um, and within within sort of 24 hours I would start to just get a bit softer and within three days um, there were times when we did have pups just really deteriorate quite quickly right. um, when we were introducing solid food. So um, it, it was really stressful. It was really stressful to everyone on site and we ended up having to use antibiotics in a lot of litters mm. um, because they would deteriorate dramatically. Um, and we'd also have issues when we transitioned them from within our kennel environment to their puppy raising homes and, and sometimes we would have litters that would end up you know, within three or five days of puppy placement, um, needing to go to their local vet because they would develop diarrhea. Right. Um, Just with that transition period? You, yeah, you transition yeah. periods, yeah. yeah. And um, and adult dogs as well, sometimes when they'd come in um, to the kennels after, uh, for training, they would develop soft stools yeah. um, within, within a couple of days. And when you look at the research into the microbiome, it really makes sense as to why we're having problems, uh, yeah. especially within pups. Um, pups have a really immature microbiome, so it's in a real state of flux when they're young, and it it can sometimes take up to twelve months for some dogs for their microbiome to be completely completely mature yep. and able to tolerate with changes that happen. So yeah. Um, yeah, weaning diarrhea is really common. That makes sense as well because I know in um, children, I think it takes them, what is it, up to two to three years of their fir- their first two to three years for their gut microbiome yeah. to become mature, I think. Yeah. So yeah. so it would, yeah, that would make sense that um, it would take 
a sort of equivalent relative length of time in dogs as well. Yeah. And so were you seeing, because I know that your puppies are whelped in the home environment and not generally, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're not generally whelped at guide dogs. Yeah. Is that right? So they're, so, they're, they're yeah, whelped that, in a home environment and then they come back in? Yeah. So initially they were whelped within one of our staff members' houses. So mm-hmm. she whelped all of them at her house. Wow. And when they were, when they were yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> did she get <laughs> any <me>. sleep? <laughs> um, yeah, so that she did that for, for a number of years and then they would come in into the kennels at two weeks of age. Okay. Um, and, but we've actually changed that now um, and, and – Part of it is for the health of the dogs. We've mm. actually now um, we're welcoming them within their puppy raising home, um, yep. and we're leading them there for six weeks. and And part of that is around uh, reducing and stabilising that that gut microbiome, reducing stress for the dogs. Yeah, yeah. So they're obviously introduced to solids in the home environment now, and then they yes, come they back in. So are you still seeing some diarrhoea in the home environment when those solids are no. introduced? No, we're not. Um, oh, okay. And when when they're transitioning into the kennels, um, it's dramatically reduced now too. Okay. And that was because you started to introduce probiotics to them? Yeah, we, yeah. we um, introduced um, probiotics to help to – probiotics um, and prebiotics. So yeah. um, with our well, – I was looking at um, at what stage what uh, it uh, creates an issue and, and could see that the – influence of the maternal um, microbiome signature was really important as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are actually some guide dog schools that will give fecal transplants to their pregnant oh, wow. dams. Oh. Um, so we haven't we haven't gone that what we've actually done is we give a symbiotic um, to our dams when they're yep. pregnant. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that we've we've done is we've made sure that we are really avoiding antibiotics in yeah. our in our mums yeah. when they're pregnant. And there's a lot of research around that in terms of reducing the incidence of atopic dermatitis as yeah. well. So yeah. um it wasn't just about the diarrhea, it was sort of a more holistic look of um what can we do to make our dogs healthier. Yeah. Um a question for you, something that I know is a bit controversial and I've sort of read conflicting opinions. Um, yep. From your, from the research you've done and from your opinion, do you believe that the puppies are born sterile, with sterile guts? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I've certainly yeah. read, I've read, I've read literature on, that have sort of both opinions that actually um, there is transfer in utero of yeah, elements of the microbiome, yeah. um, and then other opinions is that the gut is sterile until they're, you know, through that vaginal canal, and then it's colonised. Really yeah. interested I, in your I, opinion. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I've read both too, and yeah. um, I, I did used to think it was sterile until um, the puppy's born. Um, they have found differences in litters that are born. Oh, I don't know. Actually, I can't remember if it's dogs or humans, but I, I, I do remember reading research about there is differences in the microbiome of, um, I can't remember if it was children. I think it might have been children that mm-hmm. were born by cesarean versus vaginal. Yeah. So I think that um, even if it is, even if they do get bacteria in utero, it would be um, 
changed dramatically and influenced dramatically by the vaginal microbiome. By the method of birth, yep, Mm. yep. And do you ever have to, just a little side thought I've just had, does any of your bitches ever have to have caesareans? And if so, do you do vaginal seeding or anything like that to try and influence the microbiome of the puppies? Is that something that you've ever had? Um, That's a really interesting thing. I haven't actually thought about that. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I know that's the, what they the do. Pe- that's what people can do. So I'm just wondering. Yeah. Whether, yeah. The difficult thing, I suppose, then would be that when the dam has a cesarean, she generally has a week's worth of antibiotics afterwards. So what mm. sort of vaginal um, microbiome are you giving them? Um, so maybe yeah. it would be better to not do it within that first week when the dam is on um, antibiotics, but wait until the dam's... Um, system is a bit yeah. more um, adjusted and, and give it then. But, yeah, yeah. interesting. Or take, <laughs> or take sample before she has yeah. a cesarean. Yeah, true. And say, yeah, um, so that she's not on antibiotics. And just um, just as an inter- interesting sort of thought I had, um, which could, you know, counteract that cesarean sort of lack of vaginal birth yeah. colonisation issue that I know is, is more, more important in people. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, getting <laughs> sidetracked. Um, so I, I've seen some of your um, sort of data that you've collected around the incidence of diarrhoea in your colonies after starting mm-hmm. using a symbiotic. Are you able to yeah. share some of those figures with us? Yeah. Um, in terms of the incidence of diarrhoea, I don't really have um, recent data, but in terms of the reduction in um, veterinary costing, we've actually found a 25% reduction now in, in our per pup veterinary costing. Okay. Um, wow. So we still we still do get um, incidences of diarrhea, but it's dramatically reduced mm-hmm. to what it was. Yeah. Um, and now, if we do get um, changes in their their stools, they don't deteriorate dramatically to a grade five, we use a grading system. So grade five is like water. Yeah. Um, they don't they don't dramatically deteriorate to a grade five. They might change from a grade three, which is reasonably normal in a puppy, to a grade three and a half or a four over right. a period of time. And we don't need to give them antibiotics anymore. That's it's good. something that that um, we're really big on is the reduction in antibiotic usage. Yeah. Um, and so generally, if we do get a deterioration. Um, Simply um, increasing the probiotics yep. or um, or changing the diet is enough to uh, resolve it for them. Yeah. And just from a practical sort of sense, when mm-hmm. are you starting the dams on the probiotic and when are you starting the puppies on it? So we're starting the dams from the time that they come in to be baited. Okay. And we're also we're starting our puppies from the time they get introduced to food. So instead of introducing them directly onto um, a softened kibble, we are now looking at um, we're, we're giving them a bit of probiotics, a little bit of uh, rice, and a little bit of yogurt for mm-hmm. a few days first. Yeah, making sure that their their microbiome, making sure the stools are, are stable, and then slowly introducing bits of food in in that case because. When you when you look at it, I mean, in humans we don't initially yeah. start straight that straight on to a meat and veg diet. Um, that, yeah. When you look at um, Virex is, is the first thing you're introduced, and then you know a few days later, different things are introduced. Um, you know, really slowly you introduce yeah. different different foods. So it, it's sort of um, what we're doing because um, when you think about it, there 
weaning diarrhea is really common amongst animals and they're converting from a purely milk-based diet to a diet that contains meat and veg. Mm. So the microorganisms that are required to digest these components are really different to that that are required to digest milk. So that transition period really needs some support with the microbiome. Yeah. Okay, so is that around three, four weeks or a bit older? Yeah, that's something that we've we've done differently too. It's not about an age, it's about the maturity of the pup. Right. So yep. we basically, if the pup is able to get up and take a few steps um, and is able to, to lick um, off our fingers, um, then that's when we'll start to, to introduce it. So okay. um, it usually is around the three, three and a half week mark yep. um, that they're doing that. Yeah. Yep. And so apart from the changes in the stool condition and obviously reflective of gut health, have you seen any other changes either in, you know, that immediate sort of sense or over the longer term after you started implementing this protocol? Yeah, we have actually. We've um, seen a reduction in the number of dogs that we have to remove from the program for skin disease. Oh, wow. So, okay. um, yeah, it, it's really interesting. There's, yeah. um, there is a bit of research there is, yeah. around yeah, around the gut Marcella, skin. I think <laughs> nearly 10 years ago yeah. now. <laughs> Nothing really yeah. since then, yeah. Oh, that's great. And so a reduction in allergic skin disease mainly that you're seeing? Yeah. Um, so that's something that we've um, we've noticed a reduction in, yeah, in in the diagnosis of atopic dermatitis. That's amazing. And do you have any sort of idea of what percentage reduction that would be? Is that uh, would it be sort of around the 25%? Around about 8%, around about 8% reduction. 8%, yeah. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Um, mm. And any sort of behavioural changes that you've seen with the implementation, I know the research around this in animals is lacking, but certainly in people, the, that link between the gut microbiome and mental health is um, yeah. pretty well known. It's really something that I um, was really interested was was the gut brain axis. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose with this role, health is just one aspect of. Um, what we're looking for in a dog, behaviour is also incredibly important and, yeah. and we're looking at the dog as a whole. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we know that the behaviour is partly genetically determined but a large component through um, environmental modification and, I mean, you can have trigger events but, um, you know, does does environment also play a role in the dog's responses to those trigger events? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I actually looked at um, the, the pseudo paper was one of the, the first ones that I looked at in that respect, mm-hmm. and they did um, studies into early colonisation of the, the gut in the postnatal period and, and um, how those organisms um, will play a, a role in, in the maturation of the immune system. Um, and have you read that study, the, the pseudo one? No, I don't think I have. Is it in dogs? Okay. Uh, it's in mice, actually. In mice. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, so... They um they actually looked at um, three different groupings of mice and mm-hmm. they were looking at germ-free mice, so mice mm-hmm. that weren't exposed to microorganisms at all, um, and then pathogen-free mice, so mice with a normal microbiome but without pathogens, yep. and then they added pathogens to um, that gut microbiome and, and checked to see um, how what was what, what changes they had in in terms of stress responses, um, and. They found that germ-free mice, so mice who have no bacteria in the gut as, at all, they showed an increased stress response um, right. to, to restraint. Um, and they introduced uh, probiotics um, 
in in one group, they also introduce um, pathogenic strains of E. coli and also um, E. coli that that wasn't internalized and they measured the stress response again and they found that the probiotic actually normalized the stress response to oh, the restraint. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm. Um, and the pathogenic strain of E. coli actually exacerbated the stress response. All oh, right. Yeah. And really did they determine that was related to neurotransmitter production or they didn't go that far in the study? They didn't go that far. I think the, the communication between the gut and the brain is, is yeah. not fully understood. No. Like they, they do talk about the, the endocrine system, you know, the HPA axis regulating uh, cortisol production and, and the cortisol actually can alter gut permeability, so mm-hmm. the leaky gut type um, syndrome. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're they're also looking at yeah is it is it the neural system or is it um, the immune system so in terms of does the gut microbiota and and probiotics uh, alter the sort of the inflammatory cytokines which you know affect your mood and, and can be cognition. It's such a complex area and but something that's mm. so so interesting and and I know in people I mean it's always the case people get. A lot more research than than dogs and cats, but there's certainly been some really interesting studies published on the link between the gut microbiome and development of of autistic type conditions. And it's just, yeah. I think it's just sort of at the start of things now. Yeah, the the um there, there's actually um a study that talks about maternal immune activation as well. So, um. That basically, in um, people, they do find that there's an increase in um, or spectrum disorders and schizophrenia in mm. children when there's been outbreaks of disease in pregnant women or um, women who have an autoimmune condition when they're mm-hmm. pregnant. Yeah. Um, and that can produce um, children that have um, been exposed to an, an activation of the immune system in the dam during pregnancy. Mm. Um, and those children, the the children that have a higher incidence of, of spectrum disorders and those spectrum disorder children um, can have um, defects in their intestinal integrity. So they've got like that leaky gut syndrome yeah. going on. Um, yeah, there was actually um, a study a little while back um, I can't pronounce the name of the, the lady that did it, Haseo or something like that. Um, <laughs> and she um, was looking at the maternal immune activated offspring and um, seeing if she could um, reverse her and her colleagues, see if she could reverse um, the gut permeability and the, the dysbiosis and also the abnormal behaviours in these um, maternal immune activated offspring. So she was using mice again and um, she created these um, offspring that had been uh, ha- that had been exposed to the, the activation of the immune system in the mum by, by injecting the pregnant dams with a virus. Okay. Um, and she actually confirmed the presence of the, the behavioural um, symptoms of spectrum disorders in these these baby mice um, and also a dysbiosis of their gut microbiota at the same time. And then she actually gave them a probiotic to see if she could reverse it. And the probiotic actually improved the deficits in the, the barrier integrity of the um, gut and mm. um, restored a, a normal um, gut microbiome in these um, mice. And then... Um, 
what they did, the, the, the researchers did, was they actually did a few experiments on the mice as well. And the experiments were looking at, you know, do they have normal exploratory drives? So normal mice will need to explore new environments for food and shelter. And these um, immune-activated offspring actually had a negative drive, so they avoided open and brightly lit areas. Um, right. But the probiotic actually resolved it. The probiotic wow. actually... Um, yeah, treated it. And there was a few other um, uh, experiments that they did, like looking at um, stereotypic behaviours and things like that. And one of the really interesting things is um, they were looking at communication in the mice and how many vocalisations they made. And, mm-hmm. and the probiotic didn't just normalise the communications, but it actually improved communication uh, over and above the control group. Uh, which was really interesting, I thought. That is really interesting. I must admit I, I tend to tend not to uh, read all the studies on mice as commonly, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit naughty of me, but I'm, I'm always looking for studies on dogs and cats. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just so few studies know, on dogs and cats. I know. It's <laughs> tricky. <laughs> yeah. But that's really that's some really exciting evidence that's starting to come out, which, um, which I... I would hope can be transferred. Um, the you know the, the principles of it and the learnings from it can be transferred to dogs and cats, and then we can start to um, use yeah. use all these therapies for more for more conditions. Um, yeah. Caroline, in your opinion, obviously you're a, a pro and prebiotic fan, um, as am I. But is there any other things that you do? You know, whether through diet or um, environment or anything else, yeah. um, behaviour that that can sort of to help to nurture that healthy, balanced microbiome in in your dogs. Yeah, so we've also, we've introduced a, a reduction in in our antibiotic usage. Yeah. Um. So obviously there are times when you're going to have to use antibiotics. Yeah. Um. But it's something that is not the first thing we reach for when when we have issues, mm. um, especially with things like simple skin or ear infections, yeah. um, we really um, go towards topical treatments. Yeah. And it's really interesting because a lot of um, the the research now with um, skin disease and stuff like that, there's there's um, quite a few people actually recommending um, things like dilute bleach and or yeah, um, dilute vinegar. Yeah. Um, and that that's around the to reduce the um the risk of the um MRSP but um yeah. yeah, yeah. Um the multi resistant staff. So yeah. um I actually find that um our, our dogs are healthier since we've done that too. Oh that's um, good. So yeah. It's, yeah. So that that's one thing is is sort of reduced antibiotics. Um also reduction in stress like we were talking about mm-hmm. with having the home environment. Um, there's actually a, a study, uh, so there's different forms of stress. So, um, you know, look, looking at transport, looking at the method of handling. So we've got a really, um, we, we do a lot of positive um, handling techniques. But um, there's there's actually a recent study about the stress that the dog picks up from an owner. Mm. Um, there's a paper um, by Sunman that actually um, discusses how Dogs actually can mirror the stress of their owners, and they yeah. measured the, the cortisol levels of dogs and yeah. correlated those to um, high levels in owners that um, had sort of more the more neurotic personality yeah. traits as well, um, which is really interesting. So, yeah. and um, you definitely see that in practice. When I was in practice, um, we always used to sort of say, "Oh." 
and you know, anxious owner, anxious dog. <laughs> and sometimes, but I don't know whether it's, it's sort of like a chicken and chicken and egg thing. Is it the anxious dog that causes the anxious owner, or the other way around? <laughs> Which way around? They does feed it go? each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. Um, so um, other things that we've done is we've actually introduced fecal transplants. We don't tend okay. to do it with the mums, like when they're pregnant, but um, occasionally. So so we with our probiotics, what we do is we give them to the mums. Um, during pregnancy, we give them to the pups and, and we keep the pups on the probiotics until after they're placed into their new homes. Yep. Um, so two weeks after they're placed into their new homes. But occasionally when we stop the probiotics, um, uh, you will occasionally get a dog that will develop diarrhea when they're mm-hmm. off it and they'll um, you put them back on the probiotics and they're good again. Um, but every yep. time you take them off the probiotics, they have an issue. So okay. um, we've actually introduced um, fecal transplants for those dogs and we've had really good success as well. Wow, that's really interesting. Can we talk a little bit more about that? <laughs> I haven't yeah, actually yeah. had I haven't actually had this discussion on the podcast before. But obviously, <laughs> I, I know a lot about it in people, and I know that it's sort of starting out in dogs. Um, so take us through. I mean, you can you can you can talk about the gory aspect of doing it. <laughs> how do you actually so, achieve that? How do you pick the dog that you do? take it from? <laughs> yeah, take us through it. <laughs> so you know how we were talking about the research in um, the microbiome and, and anxiety and things like that. We actually, uh, when we select a donor dog, we'll actually use a dog that has been selected as one of our breeders yep. um, because in that case, the dogs that have been selected as one of our breeders have, have um, got the the best health, they've got the best temperament, and so we're sort of trying to get um, the best of everything yeah. um, come through. And you know, the, the gut microbiome is really a part of that. So yeah. we'll select a dog that has never had incidences of diarrhea, that has the fantastic temperament. We'll send that feces off. Um, we'll do in house testing on it and send it off to to the lab for mm-hmm. um, external testing as well. Yeah. Make sure that there's nothing. Um, no pathogens going on in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no pathogenic bacteria. Um, and then with that same sample, um, we'll mix it with some sterile water. Um, then uh, put it through a sieve, mm-hmm. um, and we freeze it. So okay. we freeze it in different little aliquots of. Of five mils. Um, yep. So our freezer's got some really interesting stuff. In it. <laughs> Don't put your food in our freezer. No. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, and then we we have it stored in there. And if we do have a dog that has an issue, we'll um, basically defrost it um, and get a a urinary catheter actually, and insert the urinary catheter up up the dog's rectum and yep. and insert the um, yeah the defrosted. Pieces. Wow. So, so it's not it's like pretty people. Simple. I know that um, people can have it in capsules orally. Orally, um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, we don't do that. No. I, I think that when people have it orally, they have have to have like about sixty capsules over two <gasps> days, and I, I can't imagine really? doing that myself. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I didn't know it was that much. My God. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think people can actually ask. You know, they they can have different options, and they can do it. Um, have it. Um, done rectally as well yeah. by, by a colonoscopy or whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay, so it's pretty simple, really. It's very simple, yeah. very simple. Yeah. And um, I've found we've had one dog that's had to have a second one, mm-hmm. So, we've, but, but 
um, every other dog that we've done it to um, has been normal within three days, had normal feces. So these are dogs that have had chronic diarrhea yeah. um, and they've had normal feces within three days and, and maintained yeah. it. And we had, wow. we've had one dog that was normal for a couple of weeks but then went to a barbecue and obviously, well, maybe ate something at yeah. the barbecue and it deteriorated. So we, we gave yeah. that second one. And, and after the second um, transplant, um, he was fine then, wow. didn't mean any more. That's amazing. And um, mm. would you consider using it if you did a uh, hypothetical situation, some faecal sampling on a dog that had chronic diarrhoea, saw a clostridial overgrowth or something like that? Would you consider using it kind of therapeutically, knowing that in people it's often used um, for chronic clostridium for disorders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But um, a lot of – it's interesting, um, the – um, PCRs, um, yeah, um, as to how, um, whether or not they're, they're useful. It's, yeah. it's difficult to, to understand whether or not, um, yeah, they're useful because a lot of the times they talk about, um, it's not just the microbiome itself, but it's also the metabolite production from the mic, from the mm. microorganisms. Yeah. Um, so that's something I think that in future it will go down the, the way of doing, you know, Looking at whether or not where, you know, we can switch on or off the microorganisms. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. And their ability to produce short chain fatty acids yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Because yeah. I would think that this is probably more sort of talking about prebiotic supplementation, knowing that they feed the bacteria than to produce the short chain fatty acids. I was thinking yeah. when you were talking about healing the leaky gut using probiotics, I would think that prebiotics would be an important component to consider with leaky gut as well because of because we know that the short-chain fatty acids can sort of be anti-inflammatory yeah, for the gut definitely. lining. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so much to talk about on the, on this in this area, isn't there? And it's, I know. Yeah. It's constantly changing too. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, amazing. I, I love I love that you're using fecal microbial transplant. It's, that's so exciting and I feel like you're probably ahead of the curve a little bit in veterinary medicine from, from other people I've spoken to. So congrats. <laughs> good on you guys. Thanks. I know there are, there are quite a few um, vets out there using it. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Have you ever used or would you consider using microbiome testing in your dogs to assess the quality of their microbiome, like sending off a fecal sample and getting a microbial analysis, like a DNA analysis? Is that something that you would do? I think it's so hard. I, I don't know at the moment whether uh, – because every dog is individual. Mm. So when you look at the microbiome, um, it's really difficult to determine whether or not um, – it is healthy for that um, individual. I think it's more around not the the bacteria get you've got there, but the diversity of the, the bacteria, yeah. Um, yeah. and and that's really what you're looking at. It is something really interesting, and it's not something I think that is is routinely available just yet. It would be great to do it. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a place you can send it to in the US that right. do analysis. Um, and I know that the the dog microbiome has been mapped, or the DNA has been mapped, yeah. so that there's a like a standardised one to compare it to. But I think it's certainly in its infancy. I was, ju- I was just interested to hear what your thoughts were about it, because I know in people it's quite a common test that's ordered from sort of naturopaths and integrative 
um, practitioners to right. be. I've had. I've I've done it on myself um, to sort of see oh. <laughs> <laughs> to see what what uh, what species are increased and what are decreased and and what that means and how you can influence mm-hmm. those species becoming more balanced through diet and probiotic supplementation and it's really targeted. Uh, it's, yeah. I'm sure that it will become more available. Um, as the years so did go you do on. A, were you taking probiotics when you did it on yourself? No, I wasn't. No, it was, <laughs> you should have. Um, you should have taken some probiotics and redone. Taken it, it after. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. really easy to do and not expensive. You just I just sent a swab off in to the US and got the results back, okay. and it was like ninety dollars or something. Yeah, okay. yeah. It was yeah, interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So probably watch this space because I would think that. You know, as as veterinary medicine does tend to follow the footsteps of yeah. human medicine, that it could become more available, which would be which would be good if we had the as you as you said, if we had the sort of information to to back it up and to you know to be useful rather than just to sort of get this big DNA map back and okay, what do I do with this now? <laughs> I, I'd be really interested to then um, look at that data and see whether or not it correlates to dogs in our program that are the better guide dogs as well. Yeah, that could be an interesting research project. (laughs) (laughs) Another one to put on the list. (laughs) Um, Caroline, in your experience, obviously we've talked about diarrhoea, but is there anything else that you see that sort of gives you a little clue um, that the microbiome might be becoming unbalanced or is it really just that, that stool quality that you look at or are there things like appetite and other sort of things that give you clues? Yeah, so I suppose um, in in dogs, your appetite decreases just before the dogs will get diarrhea and as to whether or not that's related to um, the gut microbiome, it's really hard to tell. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. we do see it, see it occasionally and, yeah. and usually within within sort of 12 hours of, of the um, stool quality deteriorating. So I suppose that's something that um, could potentially be an issue. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it's mainly just that stool stool quality. Main, mainly the stool quality yeah. for us that we find in in the shorter term. I, yeah. I mean, I've actually i've I've done a couple of dogs. Um, I've given a couple of dogs fecal transplants to see if we can um, reduce scratching. Um, it's not okay. something I had. I don't have any um, follow up yet on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's something that, that I've only just done recently. So that's interesting. Um, Mm. Yeah, well, you definitely share your results with us when you know because that's yeah. just really interesting to with that link between atopic dermatitis and gut health. Caroline, is there anything else that you wanted to share on this very interesting topic of the microbiome and probiotics or anything that you've learnt in your years of working with the guide dogs that you want to share with us? Um, no, I suppose not, not really. There, there's... There's so much data on the gut and, I mean, we talked about the gut-brain axis and then Mm. there's the gut-skin axis and they also talk about the gut-liver axis and I suppose that um, the microbiome is not just about one thing. It really, um, having a a holistic view of health, that that everything is actually interrelated. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Oh, well, it sounds like the guide dogs are super lucky to have you because you are so passionate and to do, do all your research and 
and um, you know thirst for knowledge it's, it's really coming through the phone so I'm really grateful to to have this interesting chat with you this morning and I'm sure that um, you know as as time goes by and you're doing more transplants and seeing the results and the longer term sort of results it would be really interesting to chat again and see what you sort of learnt um, from your different yeah. different experiments <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Um, just one last thing, Caroline, are you able to share your contact details with us so people know where they can find out more about guide dogs and about you? Yeah, sure. So um, in terms of finding more about guide dogs, if I just look up the Guide Dogs New South Wales um, website, yeah. um, for me, my contact uh, email is cnova at guidedogs.com.au. Perfect. That sounds great. Thank you again and enjoy the rest of your day and weekend and we'll chat again soon. Thank you. Great to speak to you. This was the Pure Animal Podcast and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed today's episode, please jump onto iTunes and leave us a rating and review.